Um, um, I told Karen we were driving up to the morning service this morning, and, and I told her, I said, you know, you can't study what the Word of God says about giving and not just get all caught up in it. And uh, I, I have to confess I'm caught up in it, and I, uh, that was my disclaimer in the north. If I get jazzed up tonight, you know, you just can't read God's Word and God's promises about, about entering into to, uh, laying up treasures in heaven without getting excited about what He says. And, and, uh, and as I sit there and study this week, it's one of those occupational hazards of being a pastor, you know, I'm sitting there studying, and uh, I was thinking real deep, you know, and I, I know that, I know some of you just think I sit around and watch reruns of Oprah and stuff, but I actually sometimes, you know, do something worthwhile, and uh, I was thinking, why don't I give more to the body of Christ? And then I thought, there are two reasons. Uh, and I, I know there's a, a whole lot of, we can make a lot of different rationalizations uh, between these two extremes, but here are the two extremes that I came up with. You might have, you, your thought process may be more clear than mine. But my thought process was this. One, we're either at this end of the spectrum. We don't give anymore because we've given it all away. We've given it all to God. We don't have anything left to give. Now, you don't meet many people like that. We, we talked about a few last week. The, the widow who threw in her last cent, right? We talked about uh, uh, Edmund, the, the Haitian, who sold his horse and gave uh, uh, three months' wages, but he didn't have a shirt to wear to the church. We talked about Mueller's seamstress, who uh, gave away two years' wages uh, of her father's inheritance, although she lived at subsistence level. We talked about those crazy Macedonians. We've mentioned them several times in the last few weeks. That they begged to give. Although they gave out of affliction, they gave out of their poverty, they gave beyond their ability, right? So we're either at this end of the spectrum, we've given all we can, we can't give anymore. Or, you're over here with me, this end of the spectrum, I don't want to give anymore. And as I sit there behind my desk and I thought about it, I thought these are the two extremes. One, I've given it all. Or two, I don't want to give anymore. And I didn't like the way that sounded. <laughs> and I, I don't know where you are on the spectrum. You might be somewhere along in here, somewhere between here and here. But if I have my guess, we're probably all clustered around this end and not clustered around that end. This is a, 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 an exception when you see this. But I know what, what end I'm on. I'm on this end down here. Um, you remember Jim Elliott's great quote. I know that most of you know this great quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in exchange for what he cannot lose. Don't you love that? I love that quote. You can use that in about eight different ways. But I love that quote. I think it fits with respect to giving. So let's just be painfully, brutally honest. Most of us fit right over here. We don't give more to the work of God because we don't want to. It's not that we can't. It's not that we don't have the ability to. It's that we don't want to. It's not about ability. It's about Desire. And this is what happens when you're a preacher. Don't ever become a preacher, okay? Unless, unless you can't do anything else. You know, you heard that old saying, don't go into the ministry unless you, can do, unless you can't be happy doing anything else. And you sit there behind your desk and God just grabs you and He just squeezes, He just stretches you out. And he says, Jim, you and Karen, you're not giving more because you don't want to. And I heard Him. I heard Him. And I talked to my lovely wife and, 
And uh, Karen and I have decided to give substantially more to the body of Christ in this place. It wasn't so much an issue of um, ability. It was an issue of desire. And the Lord stretched me this week. And I praise God. I love it when He comes down and He puts the hammer on me. I don't know if you like that, but I like it. I like it when the Lord stretches me and, and, and challenges me to grow. In this book, I, I'm going to try to get in here. and Some of you will be gone before I ever get the shipment in, so I just want to remind you this Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. How many of you have ever read this book? This is, well, this is going to rock your world. Uh, if you want to get stretched, read this. And I want to get one for everybody in the church, but some of you will be gone. So I don't want you to forget, if you leave before these come in, you go buy one and you read it because uh, it's, it's excellent. And Alcorn says something in his book. He says it very inelegantly. Yes, very inartfully, yes. But he says, you know, if you, if you read the Bible, if you're a Christian and you read the Bible and all the promises God makes about giving, if we don't give more, if we don't give as much as we can, he says, it's stupid. And I know that's inelegant, but I'm just quoting Randy Alcorn. He says it's stupid. God has made unbelievable promises to His people. Unbelievable promises to His people about being open-handed and free just like He is with us, right? He's made unspeakable promises to His people. So Karen and I have decided to be less stupid, okay? So that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to be less stupid as we go forward in this place. And you know how it is with God. Every time you go deeper with God, it's a win-win proposition. You never lose with God, ever. You never lose. It's a win-win proposition. So I want to ask you, how many of you believe Jesus Christ is God? Anybody in here believe, actually believe Jesus Christ is God? Okay, a few people believe that. That's good. Uh, do you believe His Word is good? Do you believe His Word is good? Do you believe you can trust His Word? Do you believe you can bank on His Word? Do you believe you can live by His Word? Do you believe you can act upon it? God says this, Give, and it will be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Does anybody in here believe that? Okay, the second question is, are you giving like you believe that? That you're setting your own standard. You're setting your own standard for the blessings of God. <laughs> for, for, for time and eternity. Preeminently eternity. You are setting the own, your own standard. Your own standard. Man, I want to get in on this pressed down thing. I don't know about you, but I want to get in on the pressed down thing. On the running over and the falling in your lap. I want to get in on that. I want to get in on what God is saying here. And you know the Lord says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. I just want to put this question to you that I put to the North Church. I may be wrong. Maybe I'm stupid. But doesn't uh, reaping bountifully sound better than sparingly? Does anyone disagree with me? That just sounds better to me. <laughs> it just makes more sense to me. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but it just sounds like a no-brainer to me. And I've said too many times, you know, the, uh, and I won't belabor the point, but uh, I think the Lord is inviting us past law giving. You know, so many Christians these days those who actually give, they're, they're hung up on the tithe. And I, I think that's a huge mistake. I, I think in the New Testament we're, we're called well past the tithe. I think the Lord is setting us free to not do law, but to do grace, 
to do grace giving, free will giving. <clears throat> the Lord is inviting us to do a, a radical kind of thing, a radical kind of giving. And tithing's great. I'm not throwing off on it. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a good place to start for the Christian. It's a good place to start. But what I want to challenge you, friend, it's not the place to end. It's not the place to end. And that's a challenge for you and for me as well. But Jesus is challenging us to a radical standard of giving. There are no limits on it. He says basically, give as big as you dare. This is what the Lord Jesus is saying in the New Testament. Give as big as you dare. Paul says the same thing. Give as much as you want. Give as big as you want. As big as your faith. As big as you think I am. Give. Jesus said that outrageous thing in Luke 12, 33. He says, sell your possessions and give. And that's outrageous. Isn't that outrageous? Isn't that an outrageous thing to say? Isn't that an outrageous thing on, to fall on our ears? I don't care where you're from in the world. That's a radical call. And of course it's not a call that, that, we should, that, that, that prohibits a private property or that we shouldn't provide for us family. But what it is is an invitation for you to believe Him and to give as big as you dare. For by your standard, it will be measured back to you. Oh, I love the Word of God. I love the promises of God. Friends, we know this. We've said it so many times. God's a giver. He's always giving. He never stops giving. You've heard me say it many times. I love, I love to say this about God. He's an omnipotent giver. Don't you love that? He's an omnipotent giver. He cannot be restrained. He's always going to give all of Himself to all of His people. You can't stop Him. He's unstoppable. Right? He's unstoppable. He's unstoppable. And He's calling us to be like that. Certainly we can't be like that in, in the fullness that He is, but to be like that, we're to be open-handed and free-hearted. We're to be like the Lord in this regard. Randy Alcorn says this so well, and I love this. And I, I want you to hear this. I think this is well said. And I'm, I'm going to quote liberally from him uh, tonight. I just, uh, his testimony is powerful. If you read this book, you realize all it is is uh, it's an exposition of Scripture, you know, and a couple of really good illustrations that I'm going to steal tonight. Um, but he says, God prospers us not to raise our standard of living. I bet you could finish the sentence but to raise our standard of giving. Not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. I love that. And he uses this great illustration. He says, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be the FedEx guy. You're supposed to be God's FedEx guy. So what is he saying? So if you, need, if you have an important package and, you, and it's, it's urgent and you need to get it to someplace, somebody, somebody who really needs this package, they're waiting for this package, it's urgent, they've got to have this package, they need this package. So you call the FedEx guy. And the FedEx guy comes and he takes your package. And <clears throat> but instead of taking it where you uh, purpose for it to go, he takes it home, he opens it, and he uses it. Now what would you think about this guy? You say, well, this guy doesn't get it at all. This is what Alcorn is saying about the Christian. He's saying, we're not getting this at all. God's not prospering us for us to spend it on ourselves. He's prospering us, so He's giving us these resources so we will take it and deliver it to the need. I think he's right, 1,000% right. We're to be a conduit of blessing. We're to, we're to live on what we live on. Yes, we provide for our families and we, 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 we need to meet our needs. That's, that's true. But the rest of it goes there. The rest of it goes there. We're supposed to be a FedEx guy. I love that analogy. I think that is a, a beautiful, beautiful analogy. I want to spend some time 
in Matthew 6. Hope you have a Bible. If there's not, if you don't have one, there's some in the back. Uh, this is Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and in his most famous sermon. And I, I've shared with you before that my aversion to preaching about money, and <clears throat> I'm repenting from that, uh, that wrong. Uh, God has a lot to say about it, and I need to be faithful to open up the Word of God and preach about it. Uh, but his most famous sermon, 15% of it has to do with money, 15% of it. Uh, and I've told you before, God gives a lot of ink to money, not because it's about money, because it's about God. We talked a lot about that last time we were together. But let me just read the text, Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where uh, thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your, your whole body <clears throat> will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body uh, will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 20, verse 24, no one, no exceptions, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Lord lays it out for us here pretty clearly. And in short, and as we look at some of the following verses, we will see that it's not about money. It's not about that. It's about God. It's always about God. It's always about God. And in short, Jesus is addressing, addressing this. It's about our treasure and it's about our trust. And we'll see the trust portion in the next few verses. But uh, this whole giving thing, it's about our treasure. Do we treasure God more or do we treasure money more? Do we trust God more or do we trust money more? That's all it's about. It's about what we treasure in our hearts, what we've given our affections to, or who we trust. That's all it's about. It's not about anything else. It's about trust. And it's about treasure. So, I'll go back to the opening question. Why don't you give more? Why don't you? It might be a treasure issue. And Jesus is going to address that with us. You remember that great text over in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, uh, the rich young ruler, he comes running up to Jesus and, and he knelt before him and with great eagerness he says, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? And I thought to myself, as I, I always do when I read that passage, I always think, what would the modern church do with this guy? Man, we'd get him to sign a card, we'd get him to pray a prayer, we'd pronounce him a Christian on the spot. We'd throw him in the baptistry and he'd be on the finance committee by the end of the month. It's exactly what your average church, sadly to say, would probably do with this guy. But Jesus, of course, could look in his heart. Jesus says, you've got a treasure problem, buddy. You can't go with me if you've given your affections to your money. You can't. And, of course, this context, and I want to, I want to make sure we understand, the context on, on Mark 10 is about salvation. But the, the principle holds true about our giving. Jesus looks in his heart and he says, Friend, you got, a, you got a treasure problem. And Jesus says, I'll fix it for you. Go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And then you come and you go with me. You remember what the text said? The man's face fell. And uh, where did it go? I lost it. His face, his face fell. Here it is. And he went away grieved, for he owned much property. Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's because of this whole treasure thing. It's this whole treasure thing. Money has a way of becoming our treasure and getting into our hearts. You and I all know this about ourselves. 
There's that other great verse in Matthew 13, 44. And I, and I want to acknowledge this is about salvation as well. But the principle fits with respect to giving. You know that great text, the, the guy in Matthew 13, 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a, a man found and hid. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. It was a treasure to him. He has found his ultimate treasure. And he gladly gives it all away that he might get in on the heavenly treasure that he's discovered. God himself. True treasure. True wealth. I love this parable. Earthly wealth no longer holds any allure for him. And from joy, from joy, he pursued Christ with all he had. He thought it would be stupid not to do it. <laughs> you know, I'm just borrowing Alcorn's phrase. And, and, and when you really read the Bible, as I've been doing this last couple of weeks about giving, you know, you realize it's just dumb if we don't get in on this pressed down, shaken together, falling in your lap thing. If we don't get in on this sowing bountifully thing. It's just not smart, friend. It's just not smart. It's not smart for us. It's a treasure issue with this guy. It's a treasure issue. And Jesus is telling us uh, uh, to lay up heavenly treasure not because earthly treasure is bad, but, but because it won't last. It's not going to last. He doesn't want you spending your whole life piling up junk that you can't take with you anyway. And he has a whole chapter about give, leaving inheritances for our children. It's, it's, it's awesome. And he says, you know, it's really uh, uh, a burden to leave a large inheritance to your children. To your children. It's really a, be a burden to them, particularly if they're not Christians particularly if they're not responsible. And I just think you'll have to read that chapter for yourself and make a judgment on it, but I liked it. But it's a treasure issue. Not, not just because earthly wealth might be lost, it will be lost. 100% of all that you own today, you will lose it. Either in time or when you die, you will lose it. Mark it down. You can't take it with you. You know, it's the whole Monopoly game thing, right? When Monopoly's over, what happens? Do you get to put the little hotels in your pocket and walk away? No. It all goes back in the box. And that's what's going to happen when you leave. That's what's going to happen when you leave. Listen to Proverbs 22, uh, pardon me, 23, 4 through 5. I love this. <laughs> Some of you have learned this the hard way. I have. Do not weary yourselves to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. I love that. Cease from your consideration of wealth. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes for itself wings and it flies away. Has anybody experienced this? I have. Of course, I'm older than most of you. I've experienced this. I'll tell you a little story. Um, I was in seminary and I was working two part-time jo jobs. I had a daughter in college, you know, and, and I had little savings, you know, and, and I was just trying to figure all this out and trust in the Lord as best I could. And a friend of mine calls. He says, Jim, I got a surefire investment. You got to jump on this right now. He was a stockbroker, right? I should have not taken his call. <laughs> that was my first mistake. Jim, you got to get in on this. It's, it's a can't miss. You can't miss. You can't miss. Okay. He talks me into it, right? So I put a little money into it. You know, not much by anyone's standard, but it was, to me it was a lot. And I, and, I, and I put some money in there, you know, so I put my money down on Sun Micro. How many of you have ever owned Sun Micro? Anybody? I had a couple of guys in the north that had owned Sun Micro before, and they were chuckling all the way through the, all the, way through the illustration. But you know... That when I first bought it, it went up 66% in the first six months. And I should have sold right then, right? 
I mean, no, but I'm greedy. I'm greedy. Oh, I'll get, new, I'll get next semester's tuition paid for too. And then the dot-com bubble bursts. And I wrote it all the way down. I wrote it all the way down. I lost 93% of my money. I lost nine, you know, I'm the worst temporal investor in the world. I always buy high and I always sell low. So that's not good, is it, Chan? This is bad. Chan knows. He's a good businessman. Chan knows this is not the way it should be done. And I've often thought to myself, what God could have done with that money if I had just gone in, threw it, thrown it in the offering plate? Not only would it have uh, bore, bore dividends, it would still be bearing dividends. It would still be bearing fruit. And for all eternity, it would be bearing fruit to the glory of God. But I lost it in the stock market. I learned a great lesson. When you set your eyes on it, it will certainly make wings for itself and fly away. Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. And I love how He expands on it in Luke chapter 12, verse 33. He says, make for yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Jesus says it's an unfailing treasure. Jesus says it can't miss. Jesus is bullish on the kingdom of God. And I want to say to you, friends, this will be the best insider tip you ever got. Jesus says, buy into eternity with everything you can. Buy into eternity. Liquidate the temporal and get, get long in eternity. Get long. Get heavy into eternity. And Alcorn, this is what he calls the treasure principle. You can't, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on, right? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on. And this is basically the message of the Bible. And Alcorn draws this analogy in his book with respect to this. You guys all know about the American Civil War. I know we have people from all over the world, but <clears throat> the American Civil War, you know, the South lost and the North won. And if you were in the South and, and uh, you were sitting on a lot of con uh, Confederate currency and you knew that it was going badly, do you think you'd sit on that Confederate currency? Would you sit on that currency from the South? Would you just ho keep hoarding up Confederate currency? Or would you start liquidating that Confederate currency and start getting into the, the currency that would have value? Which, of course, in this, in this, experience, in, in this illustration, it would be the, the Union currency. But Alcorn's making that point for us. Listen, friends, uh, this, this earthly currency, it's worthless in the eternal realm. It's worthless. It's worthless. It has no value. It's losing value. Just go watch the dollar against the euro. <laughs> Even if you're holding euros, it has no value in the, in the kingdom of God except what you invested in, how you invested in the kingdom of God. You can't take it with you. You need to be getting out of this confederate currency. You need to be ready for when the end comes. Because your end, your end may, may come uh, tomorrow. We got an email just this week. A, a good friend of ours uh, in ministry here in, in, uh, in, uh, in Europe. He seen, he's an older man, but he seemed to be pretty healthy. He died in his sleep this last week. We don't know. God is sovereign. God holds our lives. I'm, I praise God that He's sovereign. And if I go to sleep tonight and I don't wake up... It's okay. I'm with Him. But what I want to say to you is, you, need to be, you always need to stay a little bit liquid, right? And be getting out of this currency. That, that, don't hold this currency. Don't hold this currency. It has no value. Stop looking at the short term. Don't, you know, stop looking at the next 60 years. Some of us won't be around. Some of us will. But stop looking at the next 60 years. That's the short term. Start looking at the next billion eternities. 
This is what the Word of God is instructing us to do. Stop investing for the short term. Start investing for the long term. The next billion eternities with God. It's about treasure. Do you treasure <clears throat> earthly things more than you do God? This is the point. This is the point. Verse 22 and 23 talks about, I used to struggle with this verse, but in context it's pretty easy to understand that simply if we're focused on the eternal, our eye is clear and we're full of light. If we're, conversely, if, if we're focused on, on the temporal, uh, our eye is bad and we're full of darkness. And then Jesus just lays it out for us. There's no middle ground here. That You can't do both. You can't say, well, I think I'm going to store up some earthly treasure and I'm going to also store up some, he some heavenly treasure. God says you can't do both because you're going to love one of, one of them more than the other. So you've got you to sell out one way or the other. And I want to encourage you tonight, sell out one way or the other. That's what the Word of God says. Jesus says there's no middle place here. There's no middle place here. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. And money, you can't do it. It's impossible. This is the Word of God. You have to decide. It's your choice. Isn't that awesome? God always lets us decide. <laughs> he always lets us decide. It's your choice. Do you, want to be, do you want to be rich in the things of the world, or do you want to be rich in the things of God? As Luke chapter 12 says, do you want to be rich toward God? This is a huge invitation for us. The second point I want to make. Why don't you give more? It might be a treasure problem. It could be a trust problem. And this is what Jesus talks about in the next few verses. And uh, he spends the next, out of the next ten verses, he spends, uh, uh, he spends some time on this trust issue. So I'm going to make you work tonight, okay? I'm going to read part of, of five of the next ten verses. And I want you to tell me you guys are sharp. You guys always astound me with how sharp you are. So, and I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me, what's the emphasis here? What is Jesus driving at? What is the problem he's trying to, to identify for us, and what is the problem he wants us to get past? Okay? Verse 25, don't be anxious for your life. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add one hour to his life? Verse 28, why are you anxious about your clothing? Verse uh, 31, don't be anxious about eating, drinking, or your clothing. Verse 34, uh, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Okay, does anyone hear a recurring theme there? Anybody? What? Don't be anxious. About what? Don't be anxious about what? Earthly things. Life, death, clothing, eating, sleeping, whatever. Don't worry about it. Does Jesus, does Jesus just say, don't worry about it because I say so? Or does He give us some ground to stand on? Does He give us a huge rock to stand on? Jesus gives us a rock to stand on. What is that rock? I'll read a couple more verses for you, parts of them. Verse 26, because of your heavenly Father. Verse 30, because of God. Verse 32, because of your heavenly Father. What is the ground we're supposed to stand on? Why is it that we can be free from anxiety? Why is it that we can be free to uh, lay up treasures in heaven? Why is, it, why is it that the Christian can do that? Someone tell me. Because God is God. He's Jehovah Jireh. We've said it a million times. God says, I'll see to it. I'll see to it. God says, I'll see to it. The problem for many of us is we just don't actually believe that. <laughs> he says, I'll see to it. He says, I will see to it. And, I, and, and when I was thinking about these things, my mind ran immediately over to Matthew 10, verse 29 to 31. 
Jesus says, are not two sparrows sowed for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Therefore do not fear. You are much more valuable than the sparrows. And the, the inference here is that fear and anxiety would be warranted, except what? Our God is God. Our God is sovereign. Our God is faithful. Our God is engaged. Our God is paying attention. So we're free to give as big as we dare because God is God. We don't have to wring our hands like the rest of the world, like all the unbelievers. We don't have to get into that game because our God is God. He is sovereign. Listen, friends, if you really believe that not even a bird falls to the ground apart from the will of God, and I love how the NIV translates this, the NIV, I think, hits it right on the head. You don't hear me often commend the NIV, but here it is. Apart from the will of your Father. If you really believe that, if you believe that God is so sovereign that He overrules the falling of a single sparrow somewhere around the world, you would believe that He's sovereign and overruling in your life. And you wouldn't be afraid. You wouldn't have fear about giving. In fact, you would claim His promise and you would give radically. This is a challenge for you, for you and for me. This is the challenge for both of us. This is the challenge for both of us. One thing that Alcorn says that I disagree with, he says that uh, the biggest reasons that many professed Christians don't give at all or they don't give much or they only give out of their excess is because of the illusion that this is our home, that earth is our home. And, you know, that is an illusion, right? The Bible's clear. The Bible's clear. This is a, we are vapors upon the earth. And if we're smart vapors, we're getting rid of that Confederate currency just about as fast as we can. Because we know when we stand before our Maker, it's worth nothing. Except what we've invest, how we've invested it in the kingdom of God. But I, I disagree with, I disagree with uh, Alcorn on this. I think the biggest reason that many professed Christians either don't give or give as freely as they ought or could is what Jesus is talking about right here in, in these last few verses of Matthew chapter 6. It's not about greed, it's about fear. They don't trust Him. They just don't trust Him. It's not really about greed. It's about, it's about fear. It's about fear. Jesus says, your heavenly Father is feeding the birds. Your heavenly Father arrays the grass of the field. Your heavenly Father holds tomorrow in your hand. Then he says over in Luke chapter 12, you know, he says, he says he's building his case and he says, sell your possessions and give, and give alms. He's challenging us to be open-handed and free, to give as big as we dare, as big as our faith is, uh, the last chapter in the book, uh, you're going to hate this title. I hate it when I read it. I hated it when I read it. 31 Radical Liberating Questions to Ask God About Your Giving. <laughs> don't you hate that? <laughs> and, and I told the morning congregation, don't read it unless you put your helmet on and buckle up your chin strap because uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride probably. Maybe, maybe for some of you it, it won't be, but for me it was quite a challenge. 31 Radical Liberating Questions to Ask God About you're giving. And this is, you know, back to my earlier point, this is the biggest lie that I think most Christians have bought into. We've got to hoard up. We've got to be like the world and hoard up. You know, all the investment houses tell you you've got to hoard up. You've got to hoard up for college education. You've got to hoard up. You've got to hoard up for your retirement. You've got to hoard up for this. You've got to hoard up for that. 
What did God call the man in Luke chapter 12 who just kept building barns? What did God call that guy? Anybody remember? A fool. So I think we need to be careful to subscribing to earthly wisdom. Subscribing to earthly wisdom. I think many Christians have bought into this lie that we have to hoard up instead of laying up treasures in heaven. But listen to number, question number 24 from Randy Alcorn's book. Lord, is my fear of old age and health-related catastrophe causing me to hold back in my giving? Have I gone too far to the point of hoarding and stockpiling instead of trusting? When it comes right down to it, am I hanging on to excess as a backup plan in case you fail me? Isn't that convicting? Isn't that convicting? I told the morning congregation, I've often, I think this is an original illustration, maybe the only one I've ever had in my whole life. But I often thought it was like, you know, you're walking into your child's room and they're scurrying around. They don't want you to see what's in the, in the closet, you know. And you open the closet and canned goods just come pouring out. And you go, what are you doing? What are you hoarding up these canned goods for? And they say, well, we, we don't know if you guys are going to show up tomorrow. We don't know if you guys are good for breakfast, lunch, and dinner tomorrow. We don't know, Mom and Dad, if we can trust what you say to us. We don't know if we can trust the commitment you've made to us. We don't know if you're going to be there tomorrow. It's the same thing for us, brothers and sisters, beloved. It's the same thing. God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and I'll do everything else. Go read it. That's what He says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and I will be good for the rest. So, if you have a treasure issue tonight, we've all struggled with it. In some measure, we probably all still struggle with it. What I want to say to you is if, if you have a treasure issue tonight, I want to exhort you to stop treasuring the things of the world. I want you to consciously fight this. I want you to take the word of God, and I want you to do battle with this. You need to get rid of this treasure issue. If you're treasuring the things of the world over God, you need to deal with it. And I want to exhort you to do that tonight and to begin to treasure the things of God and lay up treasures in heaven. That unfailing treasure, Jesus said. Unfailing. Sure bet. Adam used the word this morning in the service and it, it just you know, really pricked my mind. Inheritance. Friends, our inheritance, our inheritance is what? It's in heaven and it's protected by the power of God. You're never going to lose it. It's a sure bet. It's a sure bet. So if you've got a treasure issue, I want to exhort you to, to deal with it and to fight through that and, and to repent from that. Now, if you have a trust, trust, trust issue, I want, to, I want to challenge you to do the same thing. I want, to, I want to say that you can trust God. He will show up tomorrow. He is faithful to His promises. So if you have a trust issue, I want to encourage you to trust the character and the manifold promises of God. And I want to challenge you to just cast yourself on Him and cast your cares on Him. I think Is it 1 Peter or 2 Peter? One of you scholars tell me. Cast your cares on Him. What a great verse. Cast your cares on Him. Your earthly currency is no good where you're going. And I want to challenge you to invest it in the kingdom of God. You're supposed to be God's FedEx guy. Okay? I want, you, I want you to think about this. I think this is a really powerful analogy. Are you being, are you being a faithful courier? That's what a Christian's supposed to be. A Christian's supposed to be a courier. By and large, that's what we're supposed to be. 
Yes, God gives us enough to, to, to provide and live and eat. And, and, and it's awesome. Praise God. But if we're hearing Him and we're believing Him and we're doing what the Word of God says and we're taking Him up on His invitation, we're just supposed to be a courier. I'm supposed to take most of what God gives me. I'm supposed to take it over here and I'm supposed to deliver it where the need is. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Jesus makes a, a bold promise. It's only a promise that, that God could keep. And I'm going to close with it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows it. Friend, He knows it. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. He knows it. And verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God says, you be my faithful courier and I'll do everything else. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the challenge. I personally love it. I personally do. I want to be rich toward God. And I don't want to be deceived. And I don't want to get sucked into the wisdom of the world. And I don't want to live like the world. I want to live like a son of God. And You tell us. Huh, you invite us. You exhort us. Give, and you shall receive. Pressed down, shaken together, running over in your laps, for by your standard it will be measured back to you. Lord God, may we, may we take you at your word. May we learn to be free-handed and open-hearted. May we be radical givers. May we get closer to the other end of the spectrum. May we get down there closer where the widow is and where Edmund is and where Mueller's seamstress is and where those crazy Macedonians are. May we move, begin to move and, 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 and purpose to move in that direction. That as you say so well in Luke chapter 12, that we might become rich toward God. That we might lay up in uh, treasures in heaven that are unfailing, unfailing treasures. Our inheritance is protected. It is undefiled. Lord God, may we catch this, this vision of You and Your Word. May we, may we believe in Your character and Your promise and may we act upon them. And may it glorify Jesus. May it glorify Jesus. We pray this in His awesome and matchless name. Amen. my heart like you